Chapter Nineteen of the Enchanted Barn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gail Mattern. The Enchanted Barn by Grace Livingston Hill. Chapter Nineteen. Since the pastor from the village had called upon them, the young people of the stone barn had been identified with the little white church in the valley. Shirley had taken a class of boys in the Sunday school and was playing the organ as George had once predicted. Carol was helping the primary teacher. George was assistant librarian and secretary, Harley was in Shirley's class, and Doris was one of the primaries. Shirley had at once identified herself with the struggling little Christian Endeavor Society and was putting new life into it, with her enthusiasm, her new ideas about getting hold of the young people of the community, and her wonderful knack of getting the silent ones to take part in the meetings. She had suggested new committees had invited the music committee to meet her at her home some evening to plan out special music and to cooperate with the social committee in planning for music at the socials. She always carried a few appropriate clippings or neatly written verses or other quotations to meeting to slip into the hands of some who had not prepared to speak, and she saw to it that her brothers and sisters were always ready to say something. Withal, she did her part so unobtrusively that none of the old members could think she was trying to usurp power or make herself prominent. She became a quiet power behind the powers, to whom the President and all the other officers came for advice, and who always seemed ready to help in any work or to find a way out of any difficulty. Christian Endeavor in the Little White Church at once took great strides after the advent of the Hollisters, and even the idlers on the street corners were moved with curiosity to drop into the twilight service of the young people and see what went on and why everybody seemed so interested. But the secret of it all, Shirley thought, was the little five-minute prayer service that the prayer meeting committee held in the tiny primary room just before the regular meeting. Shirley, as chairman of the prayer meeting committee, had started this little meeting, and she always came into the larger room with an exalted look upon her face and a feeling of strength in her heart from this brief speaking with her master. Shirley was somewhat aghast the next Sabbath to have Sidney Graham arrive and ask her to take a ride with him. Why, I was just going to church, she said, half hesitating, and then smiling bravely up at him. Besides, I have a Sunday school class. I couldn't very well leave them, you know. He looked at her for a moment thoughtfully, trying to bridge in his thoughts this difference between them. Then he said quite humbly, Will you take me with you? To church? she asked, and there was a glad ring in her voice. Would he really go to church with her? Yes, and to Sunday school, if I may. I haven't been to Sunday school in years. I'd like to go, if you'll only let me. Her cheeks grew rosy. She had a quick mental picture of putting him in Deacon Pettigrew's Bible class. I'm afraid there isn't any class you would enjoy, she began with a troubled look. It's only a little country church, you know. They don't have all the modern system, and very few teachers. I should enjoy going into your class very much, if I might. Oh, mine are just boys, just little boys like Harley, said Shirley, aghast. I've been a little boy once, you know. I should enjoy it very much, said the applicant with satisfaction. Oh, but I couldn't teach you. There was dismay in her voice. Couldn't you, though? You've taught me more in the few months I've known you than I've learned in that many years from others. Try me. I'll be very good. I'll be a boy with the rest of them, and you can just forget I'm there and go ahead. I really am serious about it. I want to hear what you have to say to them. Oh, I couldn't teach with you there, exclaimed Shirley, putting her hands on her hot cheeks and looking like a frightened little child. Indeed, I couldn't, really. I'm not much of a teacher. I'm only a beginner. 
I shouldn't know how to talk before any but children. He watched her silently for a minute, his face grave with wistfulness. Why do you teach them? he asked rather irrelevantly. Because, why, because I want to help them to live right lives. I want to teach them how to know God. Why? So that they will be saved. Because it was Christ's command that his disciples should give the message. I am his disciple, so I have to tell the message. Was there any special stipulation as to whom that message should be given? asked the young man thoughtfully. Did he say you were just to give it to those boys? Why, no. It was to be given to all the world, every creature. Shirley spoke the words hesitatingly, a dimple beginning to show in her cheeks as her eyelids drooped over her shy eyes. And don't I come in on that? asked Graham with a twinkle that reminded Shirley of his father. Shirley had to laugh shamefacedly then. But I couldn't, said Shirley. I'd be so scared I couldn't think of a thing to say. You're not afraid of me, Miss Shirley. You wouldn't be scared if you thought I really needed to know the message, would you? Well, I really do, as much as any of those kids. Shirley looked steadily into his earnest eyes and saw something there that steadied her nerve. The laughter died out of her own eyes, and a beautiful light of longing came into them. All right, she said with a little lift of her chin, as if girding up her strength to the task. You may come, and I will do the best that I can, but I'm afraid it will be a poor best. I've only a little story to tell them this morning. Please give them just what you had intended. I want the real thing, just as a boy would get it from you. Will the rest of them come in the car with us? Shirley was very quiet during the ride to church. She let the rest do all the talking, and she sat looking off at the woods and praying for help, trying to calm the flutter of her frightened heart, trying to steady her nerves, and brace herself to teach the lesson just as she had intended to teach it. She watched him furtively during the opening exercises, the untrained singing, the monotonous prayer of an old farmer elder, the dry platitudes of the illiterate superintendent. But he sat respectfully listening, taking it all for what it was worth, the best service these people knew how to render to their maker. Somehow her heart had gained the strength she needed from the praise she breathed continually, and when the time for teaching the lesson arrived, she came to her class with quietness. There was a little awe upon the boys because of the stranger in their midst. They did not fling the hymn-books down with a noisy thud, nor send the lesson-leaves flying like winged darts across the room, quite so much as they were wont to do. They looked askance at Harley, who sat proudly by the visitor, supplying him with Bibles, hymn-books, lesson-leaves, and finding the place for him officiously. But Graham sat among the boys without ostentation, and made as little of his own presence as possible. He smiled at them now and then, put a handful of silver into the collection envelope when they would have passed him by, and promised a ride to one fellow, who ventured to ask him hoarsely if that was his car outside the church. Shirley had made up her mind to forget, as far as she could, the presence of the visitor in the class, and to this end she fixed her eyes upon the worst little boy present, the boy who got up all the disturbances and made all the noises, and was the most adorable, homely, sturdy young imp the Valley Church could produce. He sat straight across from her, while Graham was at the side, and she could see in Jack's eye that he meant mischief if he could overcome his awe of the stranger. So, before Jack could possibly get started, she began her story, and told it straight to Jack, never taking her eyes from his face, from start to finish, and before she was halfway through, she had her little audience enthralled. It was a story of the Bible, told in modern setting, and told straight to the heart of a boy who was the counterpart in his own soul of the man whom Christ cured and forgave. What Graham was thinking, or looking, Shirley did not know. 
She had literally forgotten his existence after the first few minutes. She had seen the gleam of interest in the eyes of the boy Jack. She knew that her message was going home to a convicted young soul, and that he saw himself in his own childish sins in the sinful life of the hero of her tale. Her whole soul was bent on making him see the Savior who could make that young life over. Not until the story was almost finished did any one of the listeners, unless perhaps Harley, who was used to such story recitals, have a suspicion that the story was just a plain, ordinary chapter out of the Bible. Then suddenly one of the elder boys broke forth, "'Ah, gee! That's just the man in the Bible let down through the roof!' There was a slight stir in the class at the discovery as it dawned upon them that the teacher had put one over on them again, but the interest for the most part was sustained breathlessly until the superintendent's bell rang and the heads drew together in an absorbed group around her for the last few sentences, spoken in a lower tone because the general hum of teaching in the room had ceased. Graham's face was very grave and thoughtful as she finished and slipped away from them to take her place at the little organ. One could see that it was not in the teacher alone, but in her message as well that he was interested. The boys all had that subdued, half-ashamed, half-defiant look that boys have when they have been caught looking serious. Each boy frowned and studied his toes, or hunted assiduously in his hymn-book to hide his confusion, and the class in various keys lifted up assertive young voices vigorously in the last hymn. Graham sat beside Shirley in the little crowded church during the rather monotonous service. The regular pastor, who was a good spiritual man, if not a brilliant one, and gave his congregation solid, practical sermons, was on his vacation, and the pulpit was supplied by a young theologue who was so new to his work that his sermon was a rather involved effort. But so strong was the power of the Sunday school lesson to which he had just listened that Graham felt as if he were sitting in some hallowed atmosphere. He did not see the red-faced, embarrassed young preacher, nor notice his struggles to bring forth his message bravely. He saw only the earnest-faced young teacher as she spoke the words of life to her boys, saw the young imp faces of her boys softened and touched by the story she told, saw that she really believed and felt every word she spoke, and knew that there was something in it all that he wanted. The seat was crowded and the day was warm, but the two who looked over the same hymn-book did not notice it. The soft air came in from the open window beside them, breathing sweet clover and wild honeysuckle, and the meadow larks sang their songs, and made it seem just a little bit of heaven. Shirley's muslin frills trembled against Graham's hand as she reached to catch a fluttering leaf of the hymn-book that the wind had caught, once her hand had brushed the coat-sleeve beside her as they turned the page, and she felt the soft texture of the fine dark blue goods with a pleasant sense of the beautiful and fitting. It thrilled her to think he was standing thus beside her, in her own little church, yielding himself to the same worship with her in the little common country congregation. It was wonderful, beautiful, and to have come to her. She glanced shyly up at him, so handsome, standing there singing, his hand almost touching hers holding the book. He felt her glance and answered it with a look and smile, their eyes holding each other for just the fraction of a second in which some inner thought was interchanged some question asked and answered by the invisible flash of heartbeats, a mutual joining in the spiritual service, and then, half frightened, Shirley dropped her eyes to the page, and the soft roses stole into her cheeks again. She felt as if she had seen something in his eyes, and acknowledged it in her own, as if she had inadvertently shown him her heart in that glance, and that heart of hers was leaping and bounding with an uncontrollable joy, while her conscience sought by every effort to get it in control. What nonsense, it said, 
What utter folly to make so much of his coming to church with her once! To allow her soul to get into such a flutter over a man who had no more idea of noticing her or caring for her than he had for a bird on the tree! And with all the tumult in her heart, she did not even see the envious glances of the village maidens, who stared and stared with all their might at the handsome man who came to church in an expensive car and brought the girl who lived in a barn. Surely social position went up several notches, and she never even knew it. In fact, she was becoming a great puzzle to the residents of Glenside. It was good to know that for once the shabby collection box of the little church was borne back to the altar, laden with a goodly bill, put in with so little ostentation that one might have judged it but a penny, looking on, though even a penny, would have made more noise in the unlined wood box. After the service was over, Graham went out with the children, while Shirley lingered to play over an accompaniment for a girl who was going to sing at the Vesper service that afternoon. He piled all the children in the back seat of the car, put the boy he had promised to ride in the seat beside him, took a spin around the streets, and was back in front of the church by the time Shirley came out. Then that foolish heart of hers had to leap again at the thought that he had saved the front seat for her. The boy descended as if he had been caught up into heaven for a brief space, and would never forget it the rest of his life. There was that same steady look of trust and understanding in Graham's eyes whenever he looked at her on the way home, and once, while the children were talking together in the back seat, he leaned toward her and said in a low tone, "'I wonder if you will let me take you away for a little while this afternoon, to a quiet place I know, where there is a beautiful view, and let us sit and talk. There are some things I want to ask you about what you said this morning. I was very much interested in it all, and I'm deeply grateful that you let me go. Now, will you go with me?' I'll bring you back in time for the Christian Endeavor service. And you see, in the meantime, I'm inviting myself to dinner. Do you think your mother will object? What was there for Shirley to do but accept this alluring invitation? She did not believe in going off on pleasure excursions on the Sabbath, but this request that she ride to a quiet place out of doors for a religious talk could not offend her strongest sense of what was right on the Sabbath day. And surely, if the Lord had a message for her to bear, she must bear it to whomsoever he sent." This, then, was this man's interest in her, that she had been able to make him think of God. A glad elation filled her heart, something deep and true stirred within her, and lifted her above the thought of self, like a blessing from on high. To be asked to bring light to a soul like this one, this was honor indeed. This was an answer to her prayer of the morning, that she might fulfill God's pleasure with the lesson of the day. The message, then, had reached his soul. It was enough." she would think no more of self. Yet, whenever she looked at him and met that smile again, she was thrilled with joy in spite of herself. At least there was a friendliness here beyond the common acquaintance, a something that was true, deep, lasting, even though worlds should separate them in the future, a something built on a deep understanding, sympathy, and common interests. Well, so be it. She would rejoice that it had been given to her to know one man of the world in this beautiful way, and her foolish little human heart should understand what a high, true thing this was that must not be misunderstood. So she reasoned with herself, and watched him during the dinner among the children, out in the yard among the flowers and animals. Everywhere he seemed so fine and splendid, so far above all other men that she had ever met, and her mother watching trembled for her when she saw her happy face. "'Do you think you ought to go with him, daughter?' she asked with troubled eyes when they were left alone for a moment after dinner. "'You know it is the Sabbath, and you know his life is very different from ours. "'Mother, 
he wants to talk about the sunday school lesson this morning said shirley shyly i guess he's troubled perhaps and wants me to help him i guess he has never thought much about religious things well daughter dear be careful do all you can for him of course but remember don't let your heart stray out of your keeping he is very attractive dear and very unconventional for a wealthy man i think he is true and wouldn't mean to trifle but he wouldn't realize i know mother don't you be afraid for me said shirley with a lofty look half of exultation half of proud self-command he took her to a mossy place beside a little stream where the light filtered down through the lacy leaves flecking the bank and braided golden currents in the water with green and purple hazy hills in the distance and just enough seclusion for a talk without being too far away from the world my little sister says that you people have a real god he said when she was comfortably fixed with cushions from the car at her back against a tall tree trunk she says you seem to realize his presence i don't know just how to say it but i'd like to know if this is so i'd like to know what makes you different from other girls and your home different from most of the homes i know i'd like to know if i may have it too that was the beginning surely shy as a bird at first having never spoken on such subjects except to children yet being well versed in the scriptures and feeling her faith with every atom of her being drew out her little bible that she had slipped into her pocket when they started and plunged into the great subject never had preacher more earnest listener or more lovely temple in which to preach and if sometimes the young man's thoughts for a few moments strayed from the subject to rest his eyes in tenderness upon the lovely face of the young teacher and longed to draw her into his arms and claim her for his own he might well have been forgiven for shirley was very fair with the light of other worlds in her face her eyes all sparkling with her eagerness her lips aglow with words that seemed to be given her for the occasion she taught him simply not trying to go into deep arguments but urging the only way she knew the way of taking christ's promise on its face value the way of being willing to do his will trusting it to him to reveal himself and the truth of the doctrine and make the believer sure they talked until the sun sank low and the calling of the woodbirds warned them that the endeavor hour was near before they left the place he asked her for the little bible and she laid it in his hand with joy that he wanted it that she was chosen to give him a gift so precious it's all marked up she said apologetically i always mark the verses i love or have had some special experience with it will be that more precious to me he said gently fingering the leaves reverently and then he looked up and gave her one of those deep looks that seemed to say so much to her heart and all at once she realized that she was on earth once more and that his presence and his look were very precious to her her cheeks grew pink with the joy of it and she looked down in confusion and could not answer so she rose to her feet but he springing at once to help her up kept her hand for just an instant with earnest pressure and said in deeply moved tones you don't know what you have done for me this afternoon my my friend he waited with her hand in his an instant as if he were going to say more but had decided it were better not the silence was so compelling that she looked up into his eyes meeting his smile and that said so many things her heart went into a tumult again and could not quite come to itself all through the christian endeavor service on the way home from the church he talked a little about her vacation when it came how long it lasted what she would do with it just as they reached home he said i hope you will pray for me my friend 
There was something wonderful in the way he said that word, friend. It thrilled her through and through as she stood beside the road and watched him speed away into the evening. My friend, I hope you will pray for me, my friend. It sang a glory song down in her heart as she turned to go in with the vivid glory of the sunset on her face. End of chapter 19